Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 33 of Loving Life at Home. I'm posting it a little late, and I'm sorry about that, particularly since today's topic is running with endurance. Our family spent last week in San Antonio visiting our fourth-born who lives there with his family. Then we swung through Fort Worth on our way back home to celebrate the birthday of our third-born with his family. And while we were in Fort Worth, we ran... Now, run is probably too generous a word. We participated in the Cowtown Half Marathon with our second born, who had asked us months ago if we wanted to train for that race and do it with her. So the three of us did, her father and I and our youngest son, Gabriel. Anyway, long story short, we didn't get home until late last night, and we were so sore and stiff and tired from the run that we went straight to bed, and I'm only now sitting down to record this week's podcast. So since that race is still on my mind, that's what we're going to talk about today because 13.1 miles of slow plodding gave me a lot of time to think and learn and reflect. And I want to share some of those thoughts with you. Paul used running analogies a lot. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, he writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Now, just to be clear, none of us were running in a way that would take home any prizes, although the stats did tell Doug he finished first in his age group, which sounds pretty impressive until we realized that I had made a typo on his registration when entering his birthday, and they thought that he was 92 years old. Needless to say, he didn't finish first. (laughs) But Bethany and I brought up the rear. Only one little old man finished behind us. We passed him about mile 10 as he was resting on the side of the road, and he looked about like we felt plum tuckered out. I'm sure that he had fallen so far behind that he was contemplating giving up, but when he caught sight of us still shuffling along and so slowly, it gave him a second wind. So he struggled to his feet and fell into step behind us and had no problem keeping our pace through the rest of the course. We didn't lose sight of him again until the last two-tenths of a mile when we came finally in view of the finish line and stopped looking behind to make sure he was still with us. But back to 1 Corinthians 9, Paul continues in verses 25 through 27. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That training with strict discipline is a stickler. Running a race takes grit, but training for a race takes even more grit. Of the four of our family members who ran the Cowtown, Gabriel trained the hardest and most consistently. And not surprisingly, he finished way ahead of the rest of us, partly because he's much younger and stronger, but also because he put in the work ahead of time and was consequently better prepared once the starting gun went off. My husband trained less than Gabriel, but more than his wife and his daughter, and he finished long before we did. Bethany and I consoled ourselves with the knowledge that in God's economy, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
That's Matthew 20, 16. Nevertheless, the important thing is we all finished. I'll be sure to link a few photos in today's show notes to prove it. And since finishing is exactly what we set out to do, we're all so happy and relieved to have that race behind us now, which is the first point I want to impress on you. It's important to keep your goal in mind. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 reads, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The first words in that verse, therefore we also, is referring back to chapter 11, which is sort of a hall of fame for the faithful. It gives accounts of Old Testament saints who maintained their faith through great adversity, trusting that God would be true to his promises. And the example of those saints who went before us should be an encouragement to us to keep on running with endurance and to remain faithful to our God and Savior as well. As Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 reminds us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Which brings me to my second point. We need to encourage others along the way. It's interesting that at big races like the Cowtown Marathon, the streets are lined with hundreds and hundreds of spectators cheering and waving signs and offering water and Gatorade and sometimes even cookies and other treats. When my husband and I ran our first and only full marathon, there was this precious woman standing in the crowd at about mile 15 holding out a huge mixing bowl filled with M&Ms to all the runners who passed by. And do you know what? By that point in the race, it didn't even matter to us that 5,000 other people had already thrust their sweaty hands into that bowl before we ever got there. We just grabbed our handful with a heartfelt thank you and kept on running. We felt famished by that point in the race. For yesterday's race, there were bands playing upbeat music all along the route and folks dressed up in cow costumes ringing their cowbells and lots of drink stations staffed with volunteers and even an Elvis impersonator who posed for a quick selfie with me and my daughter. We made an Elvis sandwich as we trotted past. So when I read Hebrews 12, 1, the part about our being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses is tempting to picture the angels cheering us on in life the way those spectators cheered us on during our half marathon. But the word translated witnesses gives us a more accurate view of what the author really means by that phrase. It's the Greek word martyrus, which sounds a lot like our English word martyrs. And that word probably does a much better job capturing the intent behind this verse than the idea of cheering crowds of onlookers. The author is reminding us that we have a long list of believing predecessors who have gone before us, many of whom have given testimony with their own blood, and we should find encouragement in their example to take that torch of faith and purposefully carry it forward and pass it on to those who come after us. Steve Green sings a song that I love that beautifully embodies what I'm talking about. The lyrics are, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Isn't that beautiful? And it has certainly been my prayer, especially with regards to my children. And I've told them as much. They know that I pray God will keep me faithful to the very end and that he would take me home before he'd allow me to deny the faith or do anything that would cause one of these little ones to stumble. And I've always 
always told my kids that even if it means I die young, as long as I stay faithful until my dying breath, they should rejoice in the knowledge that God answered my prayer and that I'm at peace. But let's back away from my deathbed right now and get back to yesterday's race. Although by mile 12, it felt like those two things might be one and the same, which is why my third point is so helpful. Run with a buddy. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 tells us two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And my running buddy for yesterday's race was Bethany. There's a very good chance I would have thrown in the towel before crossing the finish line if it weren't for her sticking with me through the entire 13.1 miles. And the crazy thing is that she says the same thing. Mom, I don't think I would have finished if you hadn't been there every step of the way. I kept apologizing for slowing her down, but she assured me that she didn't mind and claimed she might have hurt herself if she had run faster without training. Besides, she told me this is a rare opportunity. How often do I get to have so many hours of my mom's undivided attention? Which brings me to my fourth lesson. Life is a journey. This is something our family has always kept in mind when traveling, that the journey is an important part of our vacation too. So whenever we take a road trip, we make lots and lots of stops along the way at museums and state capitals and national parks, historic sites, and whatever else of interest that we pass along the way. And we also listen to audiobooks in the car and discuss them as a family. Traveling this way means it often takes us a little longer to get where we're going, but we build lots of lasting memories with our children along the way. And that's what I did yesterday with my daughter, Bethany. It took us a little longer to get to the end of the course, but we stopped for a photo at every mile marker, and we talked a lot along the way and took selfies with Elvis and other spectacularly dressed spectators and made lots of great memories together. So yes, the destination is of undeniable importance, and we should keep that goal in mind. But we should never forget that the way we get to our destination matters as well. If my only goal yesterday was crossing over the finish line, I could could have saved myself a lot of trouble and sore muscles and stiff joints and blistered feet by just jogging directly to the finish line from my starting position and foregoing the 13 miles in between. But that would have disqualified me from the race because the route matters too. The end doesn't justify the means. We want to run the good race and that means running with integrity. Paul's advice to Timothy is good for us as well. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession before many witnesses. That's 1 Timothy 6.12. There's something else that should characterize our journey as much as faith, love, godliness, and those other qualities that Paul mentions in this passage. We can find them in Galatians 5.22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It continues in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who should be setting the pace for our lives. Bethany was my running, or I should say walking buddy yesterday, and Gabriel ended up sticking with one of Beth's co-workers through the entire race. Uh, that co-worker loves to run and is very fast, but was on call the day before the race and had been kept up past midnight doing a case that same morning. So she was happy to hang back and keep pace with Gabriel through the race. However, 
Doug was on his own. He told me later that there was an older woman that was wearing an Irish kilt that was in his corral, and he noticed that if he ran, he would stay ahead of her, but if he walked, she would pass him. So he ended up using her to pace himself, and if she got out of sight, he'd run until he caught up and passed her, and then take a break and walk until she passed him again, and then he'd start running, which is fine because he was able to make progress that way. And that brings me to my next point, which is slow progress is still progress. We've talked about this before. We need to do the next thing, as Elizabeth Elliott was so fond of charging her readers. That advice came from a favorite poem of hers by Eleanor Ammerman Sutphin. That poem reads, Do it immediately, do it with prayer, do it reliantly, casting all care, do it with reverence, tracing his hand who placed it before thee with earnest command, stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing, leave all the resultings, do the next thing. And that reminds me of Paul's words in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't give up or grow discouraged. Just do the next thing, remembering as you do my last point, which is the fact that you'll have the rest of your life to say you did it. This sentiment was printed on lots of posters that spectators waved at us along the way yesterday, but it's true. For years, my husband talked of running a full marathon. Every January, he would go into training and he'd run three times a week, slowly increasing his distance, but every year it was the same. He'd build up to about 10 miles and then he'd quit. He'd quit not because he was tired or because he was injured or because he had changed his mind about that particular goal. No, he gave up training because the longer distances were just so time consuming and he felt bad about being separated for his family for those long hours when his schooling and work required him to be away from us so much of the day already. Still, that dream wouldn't die. And so when he began training again in 2001 for perhaps the dozenth time, I suggested that he might stick with it longer if the rest of us just joined him. That way he wouldn't need to choose between working towards his goal and spending time with us. We'd all be together anyway. And Doug was so gung-ho for that idea. Never mind the fact that I could scarcely trot 10 yards without getting winded. My husband, eternal optimist that he is, insisted my past 14 years of childbearing at that point, because this was right after Rachel was born, my eighth child was born, that he was getting ready for this marathon and I started training with with him. He convinced me that those last 14 years of childbearing counted as surreptitious training and put me in prime cardiovascular condition. He encouraged me to start out by running only between every other lamppost, and it took me an entire month to build up to where I could run a full mile. Then the older kids would just skate along beside us or ride their bikes ahead of us, and we all took turns pushing the babies in the jogging stroller. But slowly, slowly, we made progress. We stayed faithful. We stuck with it. And and after six months of training, we packed up our power bars and headed to Austin for the Motorola Marathon. I don't imagine what Doug and I were doing could properly be called running. It was more of a 20-mile jog plus a six-mile cool down. But nevertheless, we managed to cross the finish line hand in hand before they stopped the clock. 
I can assure you that those last few miles were by far the hardest. Our legs were shaky and our stomachs were empty and our resolve was weakening by the minute. Had we spotted a taxi in that home stretch, we probably would have been sorely tempted to hail it, but I'm glad now that we didn't. Instead, we just kept putting one foot in front of the other until we completed the course. And now for the rest of our lives, we can say that we finished a marathon and nobody can take that away from us. I don't know what your particular marathon is. Maybe you're dealing with a difficult marriage or intense persecution, or maybe you're coping with a terminal illness or raising a child with special needs, or maybe you're just trying to stay grounded in scripture amid a culture that scorns it, to stay faithful amid a faithless generation, to live a life that remains true to the gospel. Your progress may be slow and painful. You may be taking two steps forward and one step back, but don't give up. Finish the course that God has set before you, and you'll have all eternity to rest and recuperate and celebrate in heaven with Christ, and to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy master. And to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to to all who have loved his appearing. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.